0: Hi, my name is Liam, and you're listening to Let's Nurture, the podcast. Today, we're going to talk about Linux, why you might want to give it a try, and some of the philosophy underpinning the open-source development community. First of all, Linux. Linux has something of a public relations problem. Not that it's entirely undeserved. You probably associate it primarily with the kind of people who do all their computing directly from a terminal, probably wearing sunglasses indoors, surrounded by a haze of wires, incomplete circuits, and matrix-style cascading programming reflecting around the room. And you know what? There was a time when I would have agreed with you. If you've never used a terminal to solve a problem on a computer, it's hard. It's technical. Fussy. And you need to actually know what you're trying to accomplish before you start to do it. Don't get me wrong, there are reasons people who really know what they're doing like them. If you're working on a server, you can save precious resources, and complex tasks can be reduced genuinely to a few keystrokes, provided you know which ones to use. It's also easy to automate. Once you know the commands that you want entered, you can set up scripts using basic programming to do it for you. And yes, I really do mean basic here. The kind you, literally you, could learn to do in maybe a weekend. This isn't the image I want you to have anymore when you think about what in my mind is a pretty great operating system. By the way, if you're not really sure what an operating system is or does, go back and listen to our episode on operating systems. But moving on, frankly, you can do basically anything you want on a Linux machine without ever seeing a blinking cursor. And certainly everything you're likely to do with your home computer day to day. Better yet, you can not only do it for free, but faster than the Windows or Apple alternatives. Why haven't you heard this before? Well, frankly, a lot of money has been invested in making sure you never think about the operating system your computer should have. Before we get any deeper into Linux, let's step back, and discuss something called bloatware. The thing you need to understand is that in computer manufacturing, the people who make the computers like to make money, and the people who buy the computers often don't know a lot about them. So you, as an individual, would pay well over $100 for a copy of Windows. Windows, benefiting from everyone on Earth using their operating system, will sell it to them for closer to 50 based on my cursory research. This isn't where the real key comes in, though. Other third parties will sometimes pay manufacturers to install their programs on unsold machines. Sure, slowing them down considerably, but also offsetting the cost of production. These extra apps you don't want, need, or ask for are called bloatware, and you should uninstall them. This creates a pickle, though. A computer manufacturer could conceivably make money by installing Windows and then bloatware on a machine. And Microsoft not only knows this, but stands to gain from it. After all, they want that precious market share. This is why when you go to the store, the computers all come with not only Windows, but also a bunch of games you don't want and startup programs you've never heard of. Also, Skype. I don't know why. But Skype is impossible to turn off. I don't use it, Microsoft. Just let it go. Anyway, the good news is that you don't need to put up with that. First of all, you could install Windows onto your computer by yourself. It's not hard. Your mom could probably do it with a flash drive and 20 minutes, give or take the several-hour Windows update process. Since we're already talking about that, though, let's look again at the alternative. I'm writing this right now. On a computer that's running a distribution of Linux called Manjaro. Think of a distribution or sometimes distro or flavor as being like another version of the Linux operating system. Just like you could install Windows 95 or 7 or 10, you could install different versions of Linux like Ubuntu or Mint, two that are often recommended to new users. The most important difference is that while Windows versions go in a line, Linux distros are more like a tree. People branch off versions of stuff they like to suit different tasks. They'll come configured differently, with different basic programs installed. But people are working on multiple versions of the same basic system that is Linux. As you may have put together, This is possible because Linux is so customizable. Take desktop environments. With Windows, it's always going to look like Windows. We're all familiar with the classic Windows screen, the way that Windows present to you. This time, I mean the things on the screen, not the operating system itself. It's an unfortunate artifact of the naming system Windows came up with. But if you're using Linux, and not at a high technical level, You could decide you want your desktop to look and feel more like an Apple computer. Install a new environment, say GNOME, and choose to use it when you log into your computer. I use an environment called XFCE. And you know what? If you've used Windows, you would be able to navigate my computer just fine. There's a start menu. You click through folders in the file system. You can launch programs inside of Windows on the screen, drag them around. It even has virtual desktops, the best feature of Windows 10, and one that got its start in the Linux world. In fact, basically all of the important computers in the world use some version of Linux. Why? Well, it's a lot more efficient. Don't get me wrong. The fact that it's so customizable does mean that you can create all the overhead that say windows would use but it's usually not baked in from the start if you're running an enterprise computing system where every single operation counts you're probably going to use the system that's free infinitely customizable and open source but this isn't only useful for people running expensive servers they're not the only ones who care about computing overhead that old laptop you have the one that takes 15 minutes to turn on and you bought back when dial-up was still the high-tech wave of the future? Well, guess what? You can probably make that laptop just as snappy as the day you bought it. Computers don't actually degrade much with time. We just ask them to do more and more stuff and faster. By moving to an operating system with substantially reduced overhead, You can get a lot more life out of a machine that didn't handle the move to the new version of Windows very gracefully. And you can do it while more or less having the same experience. You can even run Windows programs in Linux thanks to a utility called Wine that you could have set up and ready to go in a matter of minutes. You can even do it without constantly having Skype start up and tell you to connect your Skype account and refuse to actually shut down. I'm telling you guys, it's fantastic. Although in the interest of full disclosure, occasionally you will run into problems using Wine and Windows applications. In my experience, almost all of them work, but it isn't a guarantee. Let's take a brief look at freedom. I promise I cut most of the philosophy out of this episode. Linux is open source. Like most modern terms, open source can mean different things to different people, but The important part is this. With open source software, you can look at the code that makes it work. You may not know this, but that's not actually true of a lot of things. When they finish writing the program for, say, Microsoft Word, they take it and compile it into something readable by the computer, not a person. When you download the program, that's what you're getting, not the stuff you could read or at least that someone who knows about computer programming could read, but that ones and zeros that the processor itself interprets. Mostly, this is fine. But what if you want to know exactly what a program does? What if you're worried that it's doing something the writers didn't tell you about? Well, unless you get really good at ones and zeros, it's going to be hard to tell. With open-source programs, though, it's different. The instructions are there for you to look at and audit. You can see exactly what it does. And if you're worried that the author may have packed something in secretly, you can compile the code yourself and see if it matches what they gave you on the download page. Now, I hear you. You're never actually going to do that. I'm never actually going to do that. But luckily... Some people are huge nerds and will. In fact, lots of people are so invested that they'll not only make sure it does what it says, but often go ahead and also help make the program better. Even if you don't trust yourself to check, you can usually be pretty confident that someone did. Although confidence is not always the same as security, and you should not take this as an endorsement of any and all pieces of open source software. I hope that you've come out of this with a better sense of the third wheel of the operating system world. I think it deserves its day in the light. And if you ask me, we're getting closer every day. I've avoided delving too far into the technical minutiae here, even more than usual. A prior draft of this episode spent a long time discussing the Linux kernel itself, GNU, and the moral philosophy that open source movements have built it seemed to not quite make the point of accessibility as well as I'd hoped. Until next time, remember to pay attention when you see a way to do something better. I've been Liam, and you've been listening to Let's Nurture, the podcast.